Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Fermentable Planet Earth. Welcome back to Ferment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your co-host, Mary Isaac. <laughs> and I'm Chris Kuzmi. We air every Monday night at 7 o'clock p.m. On HeritageRadioNetwork.org. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. That's never happened before, and I'm sad it did, actually. But uh, <laughs> anyway, we're back, and we are actually uh, still recovering from New York City Beer Week. It was uh, quite a week, 10 days. So a week and two, three days, and uh, Wow. <laughs> today's today's episode uh, we have two two very special guests that we know from the beer community one of which we met on monday night at a beer dinner at jimmy's 43 you actually might have heard him here at beer sessions radio john Conzola. thanks for having me on the show guys <laughs> thanks for coming and tj Spooda. how's it going what's up man how are you uh first of all that first night that we had uh together on crap barrack was pretty pretty cranking and pretty fun at galapagos yeah man pretty epic with you on the sax oh thanks <laughs> awesome you know and your chezwan uh, beer delicious uh, yeah, very nice <laughs> well you guys were pouring was amazing but uh our hearts go out to uh master mark Schmeda, uh who threw his back out with the ice situation at the yeah, end, and, uh, and he didn't get the chance he's he could consider himself lucky for not having to deal with the rest of beer week but <laughs> we missed him for sure and we're talking about Mark and TJ are both at Chelsea Brewing Company. Mark's the head brewer and TJ's part-time brewing there and yep. leading the tours on Saturdays. Every Saturday. Every Saturday. Every Saturday. <laughs> 2 to 6 p.m. All right. Free tasting. Do you have to make reservations to, to get a tour with you? Just no, not, call not, not on you? Saturdays. During the week, we make reservations. But on Saturday, at 2 to 6, all free. Right on. Right on. What do yeah. you teach? I teach science. You teach science? 6th to 8th grade in Staten Island. I'm very excited that you're here with us today because you can teach us how to rinse yeast. But That's we're going right. to get to that in the second half. Mary, what were some of your favorite parts of Beer Week this year? Wow. Um, well, I met a lot of nice people. I got to see a lot of people, uh, a lot of friends in the beer community that I don't get to see very often. So that was that was a lot of fun. I had some absolutely amazing beers, particularly at the Brewer's Choice event on City Winer- at City Winery on Wednesday night. Uh, Midnight Brett from Allagash, which is made with 100% of their Brett house Brett culture that Jason, the brewer, has um, developed over the years. A lot, man. There was there's too many beers to list that I had, and were very inspirational for my for my future homebrewing endeavors. Um, and then actually, Josh Bernstein did the homebrew jamboree uh, yeah. at Jimmy's Number Forty Three on Saturday. We got to stop by that, and that was exciting. Also, to see a lot of our homebrewing friends and taste their beer, and as well as meet some homebrewers that we didn't know until that day. Um, but absolutely stellar beers were being poured at that. All homebrewed in somewhere in the five boroughs, I think. Everybody's from yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, it was a fascinating week, and it was a great time to celebrate what's going on in New York City, but which is just a microcosm of what's happening in the world. Craft beer is freaking awesome, and we're glad to all have it. Yep. Um, Some things that happen, people are going to start growing hops more and more, uh, which is how we know John. John, first of all, congratulations. You had a Kickstarter campaign, and you met your goal today. Uh, Tell us more about that, and who are you, why are you, what's going on? Tell us about the (laughs) fourth generation, the thing you got the farm. I I know more than I should. Hi. (laughs) Hey, Chris. (laughs) Um, I'm a fourth generation farmer from Long Island, and uh, recently, about three years ago, I was looking for something unique to bring to the farm, something different. And you know, during college, I developed a love for craft beer. To you know, put two and two together, I saw a lot of the microbreweries popping up on Long Island in New York City. Um, so it made sense for me to plant hops, you know, and to be able to provide a truly local ingredient to uh, the local breweries in the area. So that was kind of what got me started in it Were and so you, you first planted your planted your first hot plants three two or three years ago uh three years, three years ago, ago. Yep. and how how much did you plant uh we planted an acre of hops we planted uh cascade mount hood and chinook okay and hot plants take about three years to to harvesting or did you get you harvested last year correct yeah first year we only had a couple handfuls not much to speak of and uh the second year you have a pretty decent harvest and it's kind of like grapes it needs to mature so mm-hmm. by the third year you're set to have a mature plant so we're expecting a pretty big harvest this year we talked before uh you said you were a home brewer too had you been homebrewing before you decided to plant the hops um it sort of kind of happened at the same time uh, you know meeting people in the beer industry and yeah. you know just getting together with people and it was you know but we're fun, really excited to, to you know to get more hops i mean at one point New York was growing most of America's hops. Was that was that some of the case? That's right, and that's one thing that's interesting about New York that a lot of people don't know is um, about a hundred years ago. You know, there's a saying that hops were king in New York. They produced eighty um, percent of the nation's crop. In the peak, it was about twenty-one million pounds a year. Wow. So that was a lot of hops. And um, <clears throat> upstate New York, you know, now there's a lot of dairy farms. But before all those dairies. Most, if not all, those farms were hop farms, and then um, prohibition and well, there was a blight too. Do I cows think, eat right? hops? That- uh, <laughs> I think the jury's still out on that. <laughs> you come up with these questions. <laughs> I don't know. I'm reading the forum. There, you know, the, the man about it forum. These are, these are questions from the uh, from the listeners. But Mary's right. They, uh, <laughs> it was a combination of um, a blight, a widespread blight, and also um, prohibition that kind of put an end to New York's hop production and everything moved out west uh, to where it is today. Now, and you've, <clears throat> so you had, you had your first decent harvest last fall. And um, in speaking <coughs> to some of the local brewers on Long Island, and you've, well, outside of Long Island as well, you had some of your, the local brewers use your hops. Is that correct? Yeah, um, a f- bunch of the local brewers um, decided to do wet hop ales. So that was really exciting to, you know, get a beer made with the hops. Mm-hmm. And um, a bunch of them dry hopped. And, you know, we're just looking to keep uh, moving forward and getting more hops in New York. I'm excited to do that with you down at 508 Gastrobrewery, yeah. by the way. Very excited. We're excited at Chelsea, too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. it was all Sounds good. I <laughs> love it. Um, so we are, well, a lot of our listeners are, listeners are homebrewers, and we're talking about a lot of do-it-yourself. Did you find it was a hard thing to do to plant hops? And if, you know, what... What what is it? Uh, what's important in growing hops? What are, what's the give us the one hundred and one? Yeah, for us it was definitely um, a challenge. I had grown hops, you know, in my backyard, so to say, and did a big variety trial to try to see what worked best in our climate. So for me, it was difficult setting up the trellis system and you know planting all those hops at once. Um, 
But the main thing to think about when you're growing hops for yourself or home brewing is, you know, hops like a lot of sun, so it's important to have a sunny spot. And they do like to grow vertically. A lot of people try to, I've seen, try to train them horizontally. Um, but it won't produce as many cones, and the cones won't be as a quality of a hop as you would like. So it's important to have a vertical trellis. Uh, they don't like wet feet, so that's why they're planted in hills. You'll hear that term a lot. Um, so the best thing is kind of just to mound up some soil, make sure it's always wet, but you know, not soaking wet. You don't want to plant them in a low spot; they'll die if you do that. Uh, is there? Can it be too sunny? What you know? What uh, hours of the day? Like the middle of the field is totally fine. A sloped field, of course. Yeah, full. Yeah, full sun is definitely the best. It's a very photosensitive plant, so it needs the sun to. Actually, the reason hops uh, will wrap around twine and curl up is a function of the sun. Um, it curls in the path of the sun clockwise. Oh, wow. yeah. That's wow. fascinating. I did not know that. Yeah. Very cool. Would it, would uh, say an Alaskan summer day be good for hop growing? Uh, <laughs> you know, like 23 hours of sun. You know? <laughs> it, it, it might be. I don't know. We'd have to. <laughs> can we get a caller in from Alaska? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> My father used to live in Alaska, and man, I used to visit him in the summer, and it's, it's pretty amazing to to be playing on the playground until 10.30 and not even know. It would be something to test, definitely. <laughs> so, <clears throat> speaking of homebrewers, because I think a lot of homebrewers are also interested in using local hops. I know that New York State passed the Farm Bill last year, which will now allow a farm brewery to develop. Um, they have a certain, I can't remember the percentage, but they need a certain percentage of locally grown hops. So definitely, I can see you guys contributing to that. But That's I'm right. sure a lot of homebrewers would also be interested in using your hops. Do you have plans for some homebrewing events? or? Yeah, definitely. This past season, it was just a lot for us to harvest the hops. So, you know, we sold mostly to commercial breweries. Uh, this coming season... Um, we're getting a packaging machine here in addition to our hops harvester, so we're going to be packaging up some small quantities and getting them out to the home brewers because, you know, to me, home brewing is where it starts. It's, you know, the root of beer culture here in New York, so it's definitely important for me at least to make sure that they can have some local hops, the people that want them. Um, we're planning a couple of events out at the hop yard in Waiting River this season. Um, we're going to do a home brewer day, so we'll have a brew demonstration going on probably some live music come and pick you pick your own hops um a couple other things that's kind of still in the works so yeah, well let us know we'd like to definitely share it with our listeners and even come out and join it for it and where great. is waiting river um it's on the north fork of long island it's uh right at the beginning of wine country exit 68 of the la almost <laughs> at the end <laughs> fantastic is there a train how's the train access uh the train's good you do need a valid passport to get all the way out there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I know. I unfortunately do not get out to Long Island as much as I should. I go to a, we judge a homebrew competition out there every year, but yep. I don't get out there as much as I probably should. My friend's Bruce Easton Revival. Well, yep. Okay, cool. Well, there'll be some more hop farms out yeah. there, so it's more of a reason for you guys to make the trek. Yeah. Definitely. So another question, um, you know, as a home brewer, just, you know, in general, how do you get a hop from, from vine to beer worthy or, you know, to, to brew, you know, so where can you use it and, and brew with it? So Good you have your wet hot thing, but what is the other side of it? And when you say you have a packaging machine, what's what's the process to get it from there to package? Yeah, so for a home brewer, you know, you could obviously set it up where, you know, you get your brew going and you pick those hops that day and brew with them. But if you're growing a little, you know, more hops and you'd like to brew within a day, what you'd want to do is dry them down. Um, that's what all the commercial hop farmers do. So it's a more stable form. 
uh, the easiest way to do that is to put it on like a, almost like a screen window. You don't want it in the sun. Um, if you can get a fan blowing you know, air, dehumidified air across it, that'll dry them down to the point where you, know, you can package them, you can throw them in a Ziploc and pop them in the freezer for another day. What is the uh, uh, shelf life of a hop if you do it that way? Um, if you do it that way without vacuum sealing, I would say a couple months. If you vacuum seal it with like a food saver type of mm-hmm. device, uh, much longer stored right. in a freezer, you know, six We have months. one of those and it's awesome yes. and it's highly recommended if you homebrew a lot or even if you cook or anything. These these vacuum sealed things are pretty pretty awesome. How much did you get yours for, Mary? I don't know. It's, I think we got it on Woot.com, one of my favorite bargain websites. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that you can also get them like Amazon or even your local, you know, hardware store or, or you know, variety, whatever. Wherever you get that, those kind of applies to bed, bath, and beyond, kitchen stuff. Um, yeah, it's definitely worth it. I mean, not only to freeze dry your hops but we've used it for other stuff as well other stuff <laughs> <laughs> like wool fel- wool for felting crafty stuff oh uh, yeah well i say yeah like i'm felting <laughs> no I'm, i have not yet felt it i did i did knit you a coaster <laughs> once it was supposed to be a something bigger but it's a coaster now <laughs> that's about the tolerance i had for that so going back to the harvesting machine so that was what the kickstarter was for those of you guys who don't know out there is that Hop harvesting by hand is incredibly labor intensive, and you had gone to Germany and found this hop harvesting machine, correct? Um, well, I haven't gone yet. Okay. I'm going to be going in a but couple. But you found weeks. one. But we found, <laughs> found one in yeah, we found one in Germany. Um, to harvest a mature plant of hops, it takes about an hour, and if there's a thousand plants on an acre, it takes a thousand hours, and you need to ideally do that, you know, in a couple of days. So it's a very labor intensive difficult thing and you know if we want more hops to be grown in new york and on long island uh, i felt it was important to bring one of these machines here for cooperative use among the farmers so that we can get more hops in the ground and more hops out to the breweries and home brewers it looks out like there. it's a huge idea. machine um, is it going to be easy to transfer it's going to need to you know you need to have a shareable truck like this giant truck too or you can yeah, basically we're gonna, schedule days throughout the you know just Basically, it's um, it's more so a stationary machine, so we're going to kind of schedule the days out. It'll be located at our farm in Waiting River. Um, once everything's said and done, we're going to have a meeting with some of the other hop farmers and consider putting it on a um, you know a flatbed right, tractor yeah. trailer to bring it around. But it is a pretty large machine. And then, do you have plans to expand your hop farm? Yeah, we're planting another acre this uh, spring. We're planting uh, Willamette, Pearl, and Fuggle. And after that, once the machine's here, we'll probably plant some more. Great. And just to recap, the Kickstarter covered just the cost of the machine or just the cost of travel of the machine and anything, and it's still up, and it's still up for seven days. Yeah, the right? Kickstarter's still up until Sunday it ends. Oh, yeah. And um, it, it covered the cost of the machine and transport here. Um, once it does get here, since it's a European machine, we need to switch out the electric. Right. We need uh, to get new motors for it and do right. some work. So... So um, despite reaching your machine. goal, it's still worth it to everybody. Going, please go and contribute to this because it's awesome and it's still worthy because we met the goal, but there's there's more costs involved than, yeah. than what that minimum was. So. And we have some cool prizes out there, some uh, a pound of Cascade hops, hop in a pot with an instructional growing guide and a bunch of cool stuff. Uh, you T-shirts, guys mugs. Check out. Exactly. Yep. That's awesome. Love it. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break on Ferment About It. We'll be back soon. Yeah. <laughs>
Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. We support Heritage Radio Network because all you folks listening are so genuine, so dedicated to serious food, so much a part of what this country needs to strive to become. People like you are few and far between, and it's obvious to us at Fairway that we've got to stick together. Our desire is that the word gets out about Heritage Radio Network in its support for serious food, foodstuffs that offer memorability and and timelessness, authenticity and, and rarefied quality. This country grew too fast to have established any degree of a heritage. Europe had centuries to develop one. America has not. Heritage Radio Network serves to hasten the evolution of a society that often appears coarse and uninterested. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. Welcome back to Ferment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we've been talking to John Conzella from Conzella Hops um, on Long Island about his hop farm, and we're going to move into a little yeast action now. We did a yeast episode a few weeks back with our friend Christian Loveridge, and we talked, uh, you know, what about what yeast is, about you know uh, proper yeast techniques when brewing with yeast. Um, but we did not get to yeast washing and how to how to you know harvest your own yeast um, and, yeah. and yeah. reuse it. And, and so we have our good friend TJ Schmolka. It's awesome about that. And it's so, awesome. And I, I this is something that I've, I've always as a home brewer and now even more so as a professional brewer somehow uh, been scared of because you know I don't want to do it wrong. There's so many variables, and I'm still brewing on a small small enough system where actually it's not that much of an extra cost for me to just get a bunch of yeast. Right. Get, get the extra yeah. like as a home brewer, I just buy two packs. I'm like, okay, I don't want to do it even doing a yeast starter because you know that's just another variable. Right. Why do it when I'm willing to spend that extra seven bucks to keep it safe? But you don't need to do that. You could do these yeast starters, and but when you make a beer. You can also reuse the yeast, and it's not even. I mean, so that's sometimes when it's at, at its freshest and best. The best, yeah. The lab cultures often aren't as good as when you get the yeast kind of tuned into your own brewery. You know, when you get after that third, fourth generation, and the yeast is really cranking along and doing the right thing. You know, yeah. you can go five to ten generations with it, and uh, it will really, you know, starts to peter out at the end, but. Yeah, it does really good. When is the end? I mean, five generations, you mm-hmm. say roughly. If you and, have a lager yeast, a little bit, a little bit less. You mm-hmm. know, uh, anywhere between three and seven, and ale yeast anywhere between five and ten, depending on okay. how good you treat them and how well you uh, rinse them. Rinse them. What is yeah. rinsing? So we <laughs> talked about washing. I I said that wrong. Uh, washing versus rinsing. Okay. So yeah. Washing is when you kind of expose the whole uh, troube and the yeast cake to like a low pH situation. And with that is it kind of the bacteria can't survive in it, but the yeast can. So um, it kind of stresses the yeast out, so it's not the greatest thing to do for homebrew. But if you had a really kind of an old yeast culture that had a lot of uh, bacteria in it and kind of smelled kind of funky, you could you could expose it to maybe 30 minutes of a low pH solution. And so like an acidic solution, in other yeah, words? Yeah, an acidic solution. And that, that would uh, – the yeast can survive it, but the bacteria often can't. And this, this is, is washing. It, that's, that's called wa- yeast washing. And yeast that's something that professional breweries do? or They do it all the time. Okay. Yeah. What kind of solution do they use? What kind of acidic solution? So uh, the most common one would be H2SO4, and they mix it down to... Which is like a sulfate? Like yeah, a, it's it's just an acidic solution, they, and they bring it down to uh, uh, 
two and a half pH or two pH. You can even use vinegar. You know, okay. there's a lot of different things you can use, but yeah, that's what they okay. Most so that's a little use. more complicated and risky. Yeah, and and actually, if you get a ye- kind of a funky yeast like that, and you want to you want to wash it, it's almost not worth using it again. Right. You might as well just go spend the seven bucks and go buy a new yeast pack. Right. Yeah. So but, rinse. So what's rinsing then? Rinsing is awesome because rinsing. You can take your uh, yeast cake from the fermenter and you can kind of salvage it. And uh, depending on the beer and the fermentation, you can get up to like three pitches from that one yeast cake. Right. So if you're going to brew another batch or two in the same day, you could pitch twice from that, which is great. Or three times from that, which is awesome. Okay, cool. Because there's so much of a slurry. Yeah. Because the yeast count is like so it's so high, It's right? so ridiculously high. A lot of people, what they'll do is they'll try to dump, um, well, new home brewers will try to dump their... Uh, their next wort right on top of the old yeast cake. Right. And the problem with that is that the the yeast have gone through a process called autolysis at that point where they basically start to consume themselves. And what you get is you get this kind of meaty and brothy smell from the beer and kind of weird flavors and smells from the beer. So Full disclosure, I have done this once. Me too. I I brewed a brown ale and then I brewed a Thomas Hardy uh, uh, clone. And I pitch. I needed a you know I needed a lot of slurry right. for that Thomas Hardy that bar, English barley wine. And I threw it on there, and it definitely had you know yeah. Had that and kind you of know the best part about it though, I bet you noticed was that it, it started its primary like within oh. five oh. hours. Yeah, or, no, like, it was less awesome. I was, I, I was. I know. I, I didn't expect for it. joy and crank. Yeah, and, and then I you, did that with a Berliner actually, yeah. but it worked out beautifully. But I mean, it sounded like require super it. quick. Yeah, some styles require that, um, but you know, it's not good if you're. Uh, so there is a myth that you can't go from like a stout to a blonde or something like that. And then in this case you can, but if you dump it right on top of the old yeast cake, yeah. you can't because then you have a lot of, a lot of the previous flavors and all the bacteria in there. So make in it this case bad. of rinsing, you can, and what is rinsing? Okay. So rinsing is going to be where we take the carboy and, uh, you know, you've racked off all of your work from the, you're going to move it into secondary or you're going to start bottling it and you have that, uh, that yeast cake at the bottom and it's often like kind of a very light brown color. Mm-hmm. Um, at that stage of the game, you know, what's in there is a lot of coagulated proteins and a lot of uh, hot particles and a lot of dead yeast cells and live yeast cells and bacteria and things like that. Um, so you kind of want to separate the healthy yeast from that brown gook, which is all the other stuff. Right. And, uh, so I guess what you want to want to do first is make sure that your sanitization is absolutely perfect. And that's the idea. A lot of times you can mess this up and you'll get some weird stuff growing in there, you know. But uh, the thing you want to do first is, you know, apply generous amounts of hand sanitizer <laughs> to your hands and spray the carboy down with all of your uh, sanitization equipment. Um, in addition to that, you know, we're not just concerned about sanitization, but we want to try to sterilize as much as we can. Okay. Um, so the neck of the carboy, we, what we want to do is want to kind of wipe that down with uh, alcohol. And then after that, we're going to want to flame it. Try to let the alcohol dry first because you're going to set your carboy on <laughs> right. fire. Yeah, uh, flame that whole thing down. You're saying carboy, but you must be talking about a lot of yeast. Yeah. What do you mean? What do you mean? You're saying carboy. You talking about? Sorry, you're talking about the carboy after we've racked out of it. Yeah, you've racked out of it. You okay. Want to okay. Yeah. Well, you're talking about where to, to get go the from yeast it. out sorry. of the bottom. Okay. Yeah. yeah sorry. <laughs> so, so if you have a better bottle, you would not be able to flame. But if you did enough alcohol, right. you know, wiping, that would probably be. You can you can do this with. Um, with a with like a five gallon bucket too. Okay. But the the best thing about a carboy is that it has that small opening, and right. that's kind of kind of reduced the amount of shit that can kind of get down in there. You know, any yeah. like wild yeast or bacteria that are floating around in the air. Right. Uh, that's another good point. You probably want to work in a really still air environment. Right. Um, the best place to actually work for people at home would be next to their stove. And turn the all four burners on, and that creates kind of an updraft. And the area immediately ah. next to your stove is going to be almost like lab grade. That's you know, a so nice it's pretty trick. cool. I yeah. Like that, yeah. 
Um, or if you have a Bunsen burner. (laughs) We're learning stuff. Yeah. Uh, from there, what you're going to want to do, um, just make sure when you rack off, you leave like a little bit of wort left on top. So of So you can kind of swirl it, get a swirl. Yeah. And yeah. Depending on the flocculence of the flocculation effect of this yeast that you're using, um, some of the English strains are kind of thick and, you know, kind of nasty. You're going to need a little bit more of the beer to do yeah. that. Okay. But like, uh, so if you so have a high flocculating yeast, you need a little less of the beer need, left. And if you have a, a low, lower flocculation, opposite. Lock, reverse lower opposite. Flocu- yeah. Opposite. Reverse that. If you have a high oh. flocculating like yeast, like 1968, gonna, which turns out to be like this blob gook that kind of all sticks yeah. together. Oh, then thing. you need more you need beer more, because yeah. you got it. It's going to, you're going to have to like, um, it's get gonna it going. It's going to be harder to break yeah. up. Exactly. Right. Okay. So you want to get that nice and broken up. And there's some debates over the next step, but basically, um, the yeast cake, you know, uh, lays down kind of like rock does in the earth. Um, so, like, the, the yeast that are on the bottom are the ones that flocculate first, and they don't attenuate as much. Okay. Um, but as the yeast cake builds, you get the ones that are less flocculent and more attenuative. Right. Um, so, if you just take the top of that, or if you just take the top of the Krausen, um, you know, you're getting, you're kind of putting what's Select- called selective yes. pressure right. on your yeast strain. So, w- the best thing you want to do is kind of take all of the yeast that's in there. And there's some arguments over this, but essentially, in my in my view, you should have all those yeast in there. Right. Uh, swirl that up as best you can, and then basically you want to dump that off into a sterilized container. Um, I happen to have an autoclave that I bought on the internet on eBay for fifty bucks. Oh, dude, that's crazy <laughs> from, cheap from 1950, and it, it, it's dangerous and <laughs> it's awesome. It's stainless steel. We call it the TARDIS. I don't know if you guys nice. know the Doctor oh, absolutely. Feed um, me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we, I, I'll put all my stuff in there. The collection stuff prior to that. Other people use microwaves. They'll take like a ball jar, they'll fill it with some water, and they'll stick it in the microwave for three minutes till it comes to a boil. Or they could take the jar and stick it in boiling water um and then once you've kind of done that i kind of failed to mention the medium that we're going to transfer these into but you want to the thing that you want to move the yeast into before you start swirling your stuff around is you want to find kind of a deoxygenated and uh mineral free i'm not mineral free but like a nutrient free uh material the best thing to do is get some uh uh, distilled water and boil it Okay. And let it cool. And, it, you know, prior to boiling, you see the, the bubbles kind of form on the side of the pot. And that's the oxygen coming out of the water. And if the yeast are given that oxygen, they'll be able to continue fermenting. So we want to pull that oxygen out as much as we can. And if the water comes from the tap, there's often other minerals in there, too. Right. We don't want them to have any of that. So uh, basically distilled, deoxygenated water that's been boiled and then cooled um, in a sterile container. And then, so once you swirl that yeast slurry up and then you kind of dump it into that sterile container, here's another point of, of argument here is basically um, you can let it settle at that point and let it cool down in the fridge, or you can immediately start to decant it off. And what you're looking to do is you kind of swirl it up in that container, and uh, the stuff that settles first is going to be all the bad stuff that you don't want. Basically, okay. the hot particles and the bacteria and all that stuff. Because those are heavier right, than, they're heavier than the, the healthy yeast. Exactly. So it'll actually settle into three layers. You'll get all that kind of bad stuff. Um, then on top of that, you'll get the healthy yeast, which are kind of like cloudy white. And then on top of that, you'll get like a protein and lipid layer. And okay. um, if you're really nuts, you could pull that protein lipid layer off first. And then what you do is you decant where you just basically pour off the healthy yeast. And okay. you can do that a few times just to get, you know, a kind of a cure, uh, pure yeast culture. Right. And then from there. And you'll um, be able to see that. Cause you'll they, see it. It, I mean, they're different colors and different. Yeah, yeah. Very different look. Um, look, look like one of those sand glass uh, sort of, art yeah. things, right? You'll see it. At the very bottom, it almost looks like peanut butter. 
but at the very top, it's going to look almost pure white. Okay. Um, uh, that's another important point. If you're trying to harvest yeast out of your fermenter and it looks like peanut butter, you should probably not use it. Right. It's probably disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> the yeast go through a process called autolysis where they basically consume themselves. And like we said before, it creates kind of a meaty and nasty smell. Yeah. yeah so um, after that, you know, basically you're going to, you could store it and you could probably store it as long as it's stored. Um, pretty cold so you want to keep it down near 34 mm-hmm. not quite freezing but the colder you go without freezing it the more dormant the yeast will remain if they don't have oxygen and they don't have nutrients they kind of go into a sleep mode and mm-hmm. they just hang out and what's awesome about that is is that they don't mutate well they do but they don't mutate very much and also um they won't consume their food source that they already have they won't uh go through what's their their glycogen and their trellose reserves which are kind of like their fat storage you know to kind of get them through the long areas the more dormant they are, the less they'll use, and the, the more they'll stay in that condition. You know, and like in the condition that you bought them in from your homebrew. Well, store, the condition basically. that you, you or yeah, after last you fermented, yeah, them. yeah. But I mean, relatively speaking, you know, it's only one generation off, so you'll get more of the the effects of the yeast that you bought. Yeah, and, and we're not there. I mean, at this point, and it's so cold, we're not worried about them actually being active, and the vessel is not going to explode, so we don't want to have an airlock on or what? What's it? Um, do we do like I've seen people use? Uh, tinfoil and rubber bands yeah tinfoil rubber bands works or um sometimes you know the best thing that i've heard to use is mayonnaise jars glass mayonnaise jars with a plastic lid Uh, but i can't find these anymore so um you know ball jars a ball jar is really good well you can buy plastic lids for your for your mason jars too okay yeah once you do that you basically just kind of leave them cracked to let the gas out just one turn you know otherwise you might have an exploding mayonnaise jar in your house yeah. and then good. we have this this great healthy yeast that we can use yeah again and we can keep doing Pitch this that rinsing directly into a starter and, and yep. directly into a starter if it's not enough for, for mm-hmm. your next batch and you can go from a stout to a blonde with this method if you do it properly you can go from you a can. stout to a blonde yeah the the taste um the taste uh threshold is not that high for this le- for this method so so this would be it's great, good. particularly like if you're doing, if you're racking a beer into, you know, if you're kegging or racking it a secondary and then you're brewing, like you said, one or two beers and mm-hmm. you need, you want to use that yeast. Yep. This is ideal, yep. especially if you don't want to worry about keeping it around That's for a right. while. You can leave it for up to two weeks in this yeah. condition. Up to two weeks in yeah. this condition. Uh, so after that, you can still use it after two weeks, but at, after that point, it starts to really fall off. Okay. That's good to know, too, because, uh, you know, I'm not always brewing within two weeks at home, <laughs> right. at least. Um, but thank you, man. Thank you for coming. And uh, thanks for awesome. joining us, John. Kunzella. Glad to be here. Uh, please check out our website. We will have a link to the Kickstarter immediately so that uh, if you'd like to contribute to the hops of, uh, of hop farming in New York City or New York State, uh, contribute to the cause and find out more about that. TJ, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, go visit Chelsea Brewing Company and visit this man on Saturdays between 2 and 6. You don't need an appointment, apparently. Yeah, it's good times. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back at 7 p.m. next Monday on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to Fomenta About It. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>